welcome. This is the Dating Counselor Podcast, the show that takes you out of the dating game and into a successful relationship. I'm Lonnie Harmon, and I'm a licensed therapist, and I am the Dating Counselor. Thanks for listening. So what does it take to create a successful relationship? Well, that is the question that I am out to answer in teaching you my new class, The Relationship Screening Method. Go over to thedatingcounselor.com, click under Courses, and learn more about this new course that I'm offering on a virtual platform that also comes with weekly live coaching sessions with yours truly. So that's again, go to thedatingcounselor.com, look under courses and look up the relationship screening method so that you can actually apply the method to then begin creating your successful relationship. Hi, welcome to the Building a Successful Relationship podcast. I'm your host, Lonnie Kennington Harmon. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I co-own Mill Creek Counseling and Adoption Services in Salt Lake City, Utah. And welcome to my podcast. I am so excited to have a special guest on here, my good friend, Melanie. Melanie, do you want to take a second and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Melanie Cox. Um, I am a family therapist up in the Salt Lake area, and I'm currently also dating in the Salt Lake area. So she has both a mental health perspective as well as being single in the Salt Lake area, and That's a special feature for this podcast because we want to talk about what it's like to be single in Utah, um, to offer our perspective on it as I went through it, she is going through it, and especially to offer like what the problems are from our view, but then also what some solutions are because we, I don't know, so we got introduced through an article that we did for, what was it for? I think it was LDS Living, LDS Living. An article on like being hopeful in dating or like being single on Valentine's Day or something. Yes, like it that. came out on Valentine's Day to help, you know, talk through that dynamic of single awareness day. <laughs> <laughs> and um, maybe we'll, we'll have to link it on my Instagram and see. Cool. Um, I've also been taking some um, information in from my Instagram followers this week trying to get some information from them to see what they feel like the problem is with dating in Utah and see if we can try to help. That's one of the biggest reasons that you sign up to be a therapist is that you want to help. Um, Mm -hmm. You don't have all the answers though. So you just kind of become the point person to gather the answers. So that's kind of my goal here. Not that I have all the answers, but to try to be a point person to help gather the answers and to share some stories that will offer some hope. Because the worst thing you can do is lose hope and then just give up. Because unfortunately, in order to get to the other side, you have to date. I mean, as much as you want them to show up on your... Unfortunately, it can be okay sometimes. Yes, truly. There are some dates that are so fun and some dating experiences that are great. And then there's those ones that you come home afterwards and you're like, I'm going to be alone forever. It's official. So let's jump in by talking a little bit about what we see as the problems. I'm going to go through and just kind of say um, what I what I got from my followers. How's that? 
Great. That sounds awesome. Okay. So one of the things that happens in Utah is that there is a high percentage of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And because of that, there are some interesting cultural things that people do. When you meet people in Utah, um, there is a very high percentage chance that you're going to meet them in the ward that you go to, in the congregation that you attend, right? Um, Having said that, when you go to what's called a young single adult ward or a single adult ward, there's some kind of unwritten rule that you cannot date a wardie. (laughs) (laughs) Super effective, even though that's what they were made for. Right, so you're supposed to go there to meet people, but then you're not supposed to date them. Yep. So, what the heck? (laughs) It's such an interesting, like, rule point where, like, everyone knows, and there's certain words where it's extreme, where, like, people will go there, like, super dressed up, they look really fancy, they go on purpose of, like, I'm going here to meet people, but then it, like, undermines the seeking of community because like if I get to know these people too well then I can't date them I am also friends with my competition that's what you're saying exactly yes yes so you're sitting in your in your relief society meeting which is the women's meeting just sizing each other up and being like oh I am never going to get married or I can totally get married (laughs) yeah but there's a constant judgment which is the opposite of what this Christian religion is trying to teach us being loving and helpful with each other and instead there's this like oh her dress is cuter than mine I don't know maybe we're not all that petty but there's definitely an element of competitiveness right and because of that there's also this this kind of goes right into that myth um that there are more women than men and Mm -hmm. so there's this scarcity mentality and this competition of like I've got to go I'm not going to give away throw away my shot sorry I watched Hamilton like all weekend (laughs) (laughs) we all did right but like there's that where women will um sometimes be a little bit more assertive Uh and not necessarily in a bad way but you know for i've heard the statistic of four women to every one guy (laughs) yeah i've heard that one too yeah and i mean i've seen in action and there's there's this um thing i think that develops from that where women will host a lot of events, game nights, um, barbecues, sing-alongs, um, dinner parties. Oh, I'll set you up with so-and-so. You set me up with so-and-so. We'll get, they're going to generate the opportunities to date because clearly there's not enough men to go around. And so they better catch them quickly and like invite them to do all the things. Yep. So then that creates a different problem. Yeah, because then, I mean, speaking from my own experience as a single woman, I went on a a backpacking trip a few weeks ago where, like, miraculously, the ratios were very obviously different of, like, I was the only single girl on the trip with, like, four single men, then there was other couples on the trip, but it was like, oh, I hadn't realized until that experience how much I'm holding back parts of myself so that I'm not seen as being greedy by other women or so that I'm not being overly competitive or so that um, I'm not seen as too much. But when I was just able to be myself, I much preferred the person I was presenting because it was my actual genuine self instead of holding back pieces of myself or feeling like I had to be um, competitive with women or take care of these other women and maintain friendships. And I couldn't dare try and, you know, 
do something impressive because then these other women would feel mad at me, which isn't how I feel about my female relationships one-on-one. I love my strong female friends, but it gets screwed up when dating gets in the way. Right. Right. That's so true. So you've got this problem that then develops where all the men are being pulled into tons of events and things. And I mean, from what I understand, there's sometimes there's aspects of that that are draining. But I think culturally what they've learned is that they they just show up to the party, (laughs) you know, like they show up to the party. Maybe they'll bring some food, but they show up to the party. There's food, there's flirtations, there's, you know, a lot of ego stroking that can happen and making them feel really good about themselves and like amp it up. Right. And at the end of the night, they may have flirted back, but they, I don't hear. And again, if I'm wrong in any of this podcast, I apologize. (laughs) I'm making generalizations. I'm not necessarily targeting men versus women. Please hear me say that. Um, But this podcast has been on my heart for like a while and just trying to say it perfectly has overwhelmed me. And so I'm not going to worry about saying it perfectly. I'm just going to say it. So there's that. (laughs) Um, But at the end of the night, they don't get the number. They don't ask out because they don't need to. A Mm -hmm. lot of times they're, they're actively pursuing another woman, whether she's in the word or out. And they're hanging out at all these other events just because it fills the time in between. And the women don't know that. And so they feel discouraged and they think, okay, well, I just need to get more face time with him. They make the Mm -hmm. the wrong assumption that he must just not know how to do it. How many Uh, times have you heard that? Yeah, so many times. That it's like, oh, men just don't know how to date. I'll just do it for him. Maybe not said out loud, but there's definitely that implication of like, oh, I just have to make it easier for him. Oh, I just have to pressure him into like, we should totally go do that sometime. Or using this exact language, which like there's something to be said for not being hard to get. But I also think there's something to be said, and this is something you and I have talked about some of like not doing all of the work for him. Like mm-hmm. I think that there's also a reality as we're talking about this that some men don't know enough about a woman to know if he wants to take her on a date yet from that interaction. And maybe mm-hmm. he needs more FaceTime or maybe he needs to like, have the opportunity to like I want to seek this girl out in some way Mm -hmm. and maybe it's at another party I don't know I see it where women are curating a lot of experiences so perfectly that when the outcome doesn't match their curated expectation then it feels like a failure or it feels like a discouragement or it feels like oh no I just put my heart on this my line by making this whole party or this whole group date so this guy would spend time with me and then he didn't even text me afterwards and and there's a there's a heartbreak in that that is valid, but there's also an experience there that's not taking in his perspective or not understanding, yeah, the systemic dynamic that's going on of, okay, but if I go to this other party, I'll also have these five gorgeous women talking to me as well. So now I'm overwhelmed. I don't know. I, just, I don't Right. I don't and know that overwhelmed that. feeling, I think, is a, re- a very real challenge for a guy because he also, I mean... Let's say he does like one of them, but it's not the one that is pursuing him or kind of liking him. So he's really stuck. Does he go after that one who happens to be the roommate of the other one? Um, He's left sometimes to just totally bow out or, or act, act very naive, act as though he doesn't understand just to save feelings because he doesn't want to hurt people's feelings and he doesn't want to be perceived as a player. And he doesn't want to get kicked out of the social circle where he does have friends or he is enjoying himself or he does see potential with 
maybe someone there. Right. Mm -hmm. And heaven forbid you show interest because then, I mean, the sky would fall in and everyone would be (laughs) right up in your business. Oh, you like this one? Let us all join in in helping you to cultivate your love. (laughs) Yeah. I can't let people know I feel me. Right? Oh my glory. We do that as much or more than men. I'm going to own that right now. (laughs) To say that more? Just that women, uh, this is a globalization. I don't love showing my cards of interest, right? If I can flirt with everybody in a room so that the one guy I want the flirt to land with doesn't have a clue that I'm into him, I'll flirt with everybody. Oh my goodness. (laughs) You have just hit on such a big thing. And I don't, I don't want to say that this isn't just Utah because I feel like this is, this happens a lot of places. But there's something about like holding back and like not really showing even a little bit of transparency that you're interested. That just makes everything vague for the man, for the woman. And then at the end of the night, you're just, you're just discouraged, and and nobody really knows. Are they actually interested? Should I go yeah. for it? Should I not? I don't know. We just hold back okay let's let's pause here for a minute and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about some solutions for warties dating warties and Mm -hmm. all the all the women opening up their cupboards (laughs) (laughs) hey welcome back you guys this is so fun i have my friend melanie here and we're gonna tell you all the problems and then we're gonna tell you some solutions so we're gonna jump right into some solutions or some ideas about not dating warties. Okay, so here's my thing. I don't give a crap. Date them, right? <laughs> One of the yeah. things that prevents us from dating is not necessarily feeling confident enough in our own skin and in what we want, right? Men and women, both ways. Yeah. So I feel like if a woman knows her value and she doesn't necessarily like over flirt, over flatter, um, and can, and can approach and, you know, put it, shoot her shot, so to speak, then I think what it does is it shows that he's got a window of opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. if it doesn't work out, then you just can kind of lovingly move on. But if you, if you go through the whole experience of actually trying someone on for a fit and figuring out that they do or don't fit, then you can still like interact with them in some small ways, not like your best yeah. friends. But, like, if you run into them, it's not going to be horrific. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I think I think there's definitely space for that in a community-centered mindset, like a church group or a congregation or even, like, a friend group. Hey, we go on crime together. Hey, we go on um, road trips together. Hey, right? Like, there's going to be natural inclinations to each other. And I think pursuing those, especially if it's vibing both ways, is so beautiful. Like, yeah, you both have interests. What a miracle. Pursue that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes as you learn more about a person, you realize, oh, I like you in a group dynamic. I don't like you as much one-on-one. Or, oh, we actually don't do super well just by ourselves together or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it can work so well to just communicate kindly, right? To like, you figure it out in real sure. life versus just yeah, hypothetically in your head. Totally. Yes. What an oh idea. <laughs> yeah, like say things out loud. Don't communicate things in your mind. But say like, hey, I really love that we went on that date. It's going to work better for me 
if we stay friends or you know we kissed I and that was fun like, feel a romantic a connection like you can mm-hmm. still be mature and go back to friendship place and yeah it might look different right like mm-hmm. maybe you're not going to hang out all the time anymore and that sucks but like rejection's happening whether you do it out loud or whether you just ghost someone and personally i'd way rather have an out loud rejection so that i'm not spending another month agonizing over like so what's happening here or so what's going on or now i feel awkward i know like just tell them so they know and like let's keep in mind the words are like between three and four hundred people yeah like you're gonna be okay you can find other friends yeah there'll be other people who accept you guaranteed So let's go through. I went through um, some statistics and I um, was doing some research on the actual number of single people in Utah. And I'm here to bust a myth. There are more single men than single women. Mm. So 43% of the population of Utah is single. This is the 2018 statistics. So heaven forbid people go, well, in the last two years. (laughs) But whatever. Probably hasn't changed a ton. Yeah. the numbers are a little tighter, I think, in comparison, but it's still important to note there are more single men in Utah than there are women. So what this means is if you feel like you're not getting asked out on dates, it's not because there aren't available men. Maybe they're not in your line of sight. I can see that. I will validate that. Maybe there's not yeah. as many men at church, but there are more single men than women. Um yep. Having said that, I hope that that will help women to stand and know their value. There's something that is attractive about a woman who knows her value and she doesn't over flirt with a man. She doesn't just stroke his ego for six weeks at a time waiting for him to ask her out and just keep doing that again and again and again. Um, I think that that is a problem and she needs to back away from that and, you know, let him know that she knows her value. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, I think as women, especially in this LDS dating culture, feel and tell ourselves stories of powerlessness um, because it's still a pretty traditional dating culture where typically men still do the asking. That doesn't have to be the case, but it's often how it happens. Um, and so often that can make women feel like they're not in control. Um, but I love talking about things like this, that we have a lot of control that we're not acknowledging or that we're not giving ourselves credit for. And a big one of those, like you said, is how we communicate, how we flirt. Um, and there's energies that we give off, right. Of, of desperation. Like, am I talking to you for five hours at a party? Because I know I have to lock you in right now or you're never going to talk to me again. Mm -hmm. What does that say about my level of confidence? If I'm interested in you, hey, it was really great to talk to you. We should chat again sometime. I'm going to go meet some other people knowing that I can't put all of my eggs in your basket. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to because I don't know you well enough for that yet. Mm-hmm. Communicate. And not that it should be lying or put on if you're vibing with someone cool. But um, to have the self-respect to say, I deserve to talk with other people. I deserve to communicate in these different ways and obviously I'm like preaching to the choir of myself or like this thing I'm still working on and trying to be better in and still fail at miserably because I'm a human but like I've started to notice that pattern in myself of oh I'm putting a lot of pressure on this where there doesn't have to be pressure it's just getting to know humans I do that all day long every day 
maybe I can remove some of the stress of you're cool and I like you now you have to marry me talk to me forever right let's bust that myth really quick I'm going to jump in um not everybody's going to like you because Mm -hmm. in the real world not everybody likes you not everybody's going to be attracted to you and everybody's going to vibe with you so let that go just let it go recognize that you're not going to be a fit for everyone and not everyone's going to be a fit for you so sorry and thank goodness like how exhausting would that be right all like all each other the same well, we, we, we like we'll leave a party and we'll be like, oh my gosh, I didn't have seventeen boyfriends from that party. And it's like, well, yeah, because that's just not how it's supposed to be. Yeah. No. Um, I want to speak. I want to speak to this a little bit later, but I want to bring this in now while we're still talking about women. Um, men mm-hmm. have a window of opportunity with you. Okay, so mm-hmm. when the contact happens with you, whether wherever it may be. If you're interested in them, meaning that you're attracted to them and there's some um, common interests that are building. Oh, so we're going to talk a little bit about the window of opportunity that a man has with a woman. Okay. So what that means is that he is going to create some interest for you. He's going to come into the picture. You're going to meet. There's going to be some attraction. There's going to be maybe some common interests or some of the things that kind of build. And as that builds, what it does is it creates this anticipation for you. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I think I want him to ask me out. Right? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's a good move. And as you're thinking about that and you're kind of wondering what it would be like to spend time with him and you kind of start craving that, this is the opportunity for a man to then get your phone number or pursue the opportunity to ask you out, right? Yeah. How long do you think the window of opportunity is? Like, how many days, weeks, months? Oh, what would be ideal? <laughs> when I'm in a healthy place and not extending the window too long for people. Okay, you just and... said it. What is the healthy place and what is the extending too long? So let's go there. What's the healthy place? I think for me, a healthy place where my brain can be like, oh, I saw them. Oh, I'm thinking cool things about them. Oh, I'd like to talk to them again. Feels like a week to maybe two weeks. Bingo. Yep. And after that, if they haven't acted on it, women do this thing where they go, oh, it's because I'm not enough. And they'll, you insert the blank of enough. Enough yep. this, I'm enough not- that, whatever. Right. Yeah, I'm not pretty enough. I wasn't interesting enough. Oh shoot, I said that part wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, they don't think I'm cool enough for them. Whatever thing. Even if I'm the coolest person in the world, I'm real good at telling myself other stories. Yeah. Right. Right. And one of our number one go tos for women is that we'll blame that we're not pretty enough. Right. Um, so one of the things that then happens is that after this window of opportunity has started to kind of close, if he still is trying to get to know you and like, like wanting to pursue more, what will build up inside of you is a little bit of resentment and pushback. And so you might not be as nice. You might not be as charming. And so then he goes, Oh, well, I don't really like her because she's like, she's kind of lost her vibe. So then he'll just linger around for a while and maybe you have overextended the window of opportunity and you're like, well, I guess I'll just keep trying. And this is, this is what I see in Utah everywhere. And it drives me crazy. <laughs> also drives me crazy as a person who does this and, right? uh, too often. Yeah. I will tell you the secret to how my husband got me is that he created a window of opportunity and then he sees the day. And inside of that... He also said, I like you romantically and I'm not afraid of that. That was how 
he caught me. And his ability to like be confident in that allowed me to really just like take a good look at our relationship rather than just letting it cycle through casually like so many others before. Yes. Oh, and I love that. And I, I like we highlighted the power that women have. And I think that's a really beautiful power that men have. I think it can feel as not speaking as a man, I'm making a guess here, but I think it could probably feel really overwhelming to have a lot of options. Or I've heard a lot of my friends say like, yeah, girls flirt with me, but nobody actually really likes me or nobody really wants to date me or I well, so sometimes I'm like, what do you want a billboard? Yes. What do you, what does she actually need to do to reassure you, you kind soul that she mm-hmm. likes you? Like yeah. what in the hell does she need? <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think having that focus, right? Like rejection sucks. And I understand why men are hesitant to experience it. Um, but I think letting every woman be a new woman, right? Like don't project your past heartbreaks onto this new girl. Let her have a chance to be made happy by you. Like let her have a chance to be given what she needs by you. And if you fully give her that and they're like, hey, you're awesome, I think you need this. If she's a decent woman, she'll either let you know, I don't wanna say if. It's likely that if she's in a healthy enough place for a relationship, she'll let you know if you're not the one in a way that's kind. Yep. And, and if she doesn't let you know that and you are the one she dates, you just got your goal. Like, that's so exciting. Right. I feel like if a man can come in confident and not necessarily overextend his window, then yes. um, she's more likely to to put her best foot forward and really, like, show herself to him, which is what he wants. Yes. Right? Yeah. I think, I think one of the biggest disservices that the dating games teach us is that we have to create space between interactions or we have to be cool and not do too much between interactions but i think this hit that the problem you're talking about is men are losing their window by mm-hmm. creating this space of being elusive and and it really just drags women along to the point where we get annoyed and we say okay cool clearly you don't like me if you're making all this space or not willing to talk to me or not willing to seize a moment to at least try and take me out like mm-hmm. if you're interested do it like if you like me enough take the window and i think the lie of to be mysterious and elusive is getting a lot of our way oh yeah it totally is it totally is um let's pause there for a minute and we're going to come back and talk um about window shopping yay secret pet peeve okay (laughs) okay we are going to jump in right now and i'm going to tell you um one of my biggest pet peeves with utah men I don't necessarily see this so much outside of Utah dating culture. Okay, so again, if I'm wrong, I apologize. Please send all the hate mail to my email address. (laughs) um, There is something that I've seen many men do, and I lovingly call it window shopping. Okay, so window shopping happens when you like a girl kind of on the side and you kind of start pursuing her a little bit, like you've taken her on two, three dates. But because there's so many options and there's so much fear of missing out on the right perfect person, you window shop. Now, let's even imagine that there's not even someone on the side that you're kind of pursuing. Let's just imagine, because I see that a lot too, that there's just a lot of women. Okay, so the man is window shopping. It's as though the girl is the mannequin in the window, okay? And she is doing what she's doing and he is watching her from afar, right? And he's making these assumptions about her, her character, her personality, what she would be like as a companion, what she would be like on a date, what she'd be like 
in many different scenarios based on how he is seeing her. And because of the congregations, the wards, opportunities, or even friend groups, he gets to observe her for probably a really long period of time. And he tells himself, this is just me trying to figure out if I want to ask her out, right? Very quickly, he knows in those first few interactions, if attraction is there, if romantic, physical attraction is there. If it is there, then he tends to sometimes, you know, overthink it. Well, make, let me see, you know, our education levels, our income levels, um, our hobbies, our interests. Like he wants to really size up so many things before he will take her on that first date because he doesn't want the first date to be a bomb. He doesn't want to get rejected. This is usually the guy that has been rejected and, you know, been around the block quite a few times. And so he just weighs every interaction very heavily or every date very heavily. And so as he does this and he moves through this window shopping, um, he doesn't ever like do what I prefer is that like you walk into the store and you try the outfit on for a fit and you're like, Mm -hmm. rather than just look at it in the window and decide if it's going to fit me and look good on me. And it's going to be something that I buy and take home. I'm just going to look at it. Yeah. And I'm going to decide if I should marry it or if I should. <laughs> I know this is a stretch of an analogy, but that's kind of my point. Like there's not what, what I'd like to see happen. Here's the solution. Okay. What I'd like to see happen is I'd like the window of opportunity to be created. And then I'd like you to notice that there's attraction and some common interests minimum and say, can I get your number? I'd like to take you on a date and then take them on a date within that first week. Yeah. What would that do for you as a woman if a guy approached it that way? Oh my gosh. I mean, it doesn't happen a ton, but there have been some times where it has. And I felt flattered. I felt appreciated. I felt like, oh, this was worth you doing a bit of an uncomfortable thing for me. And that made me so much more willing to communicate clearly with him. Um, Wait a minute. So his approach changed you. Yeah. Say again, oh. say again how, what it made, what it changed for you. Um, for me, it's, there was a directness and a clarity up front to where I knew, um, where things were at. It wasn't a weird hangout. I wasn't going to have to ask, like, is this a date? Is this not a date? There was a lot of clarity. And when those things were clear my anxiety didn't have to be present the whole day of like how am I supposed to act what am I supposed to do and I could focus on the thoughts in my head and being myself and feeling comfortable and it put me at a place of ease where like there wasn't a performance of date it was I'm here getting to know this person who already told me he's interested in me so now I can move forward not having to impress him more like I've done my job now I just get to enjoy this interaction with a person. Right. Bingo. You just said it. It opens up your heart and it allows you to be confident and reassured moving forward, which is the best way I think to try each other on for a fit because oh, that's yeah. what dating is. It's like you're building on attraction, you're building on anticipation and you're just finding out if you enjoy each other's company. So yeah. that kind of goes into some of the thing, another piece of feedback that I got as well as something that I think there's just so much pressure on that first date. Yes. Right? Yeah. I feel like you've got some first date stories, but do you want to share any? Um, I mean, I have some terrible ones. I have some good ones. I can think of one. It was a long time ago. 
Um, I'd been set up by one of my friends with one of his good friends, and he talked up this guy. He's really great. He's really awesome. I think you'd really enjoy him, like enjoy his company. Enjoy, yummy. And, <laughs> and so we went on a date. Um, and the conversation was really easy. We did have a lot in common. Um, I really liked a lot of things about him. And as the date wore on, I was like, oh, shoot, my friend is right. And I shifted how I was sitting. I was more anxious of my, like, facial presence. I was more, like, trying to, like, okay, I have to look pretty when I make this thought, which then blocked my thoughts from making <laughs> the, like, normal human conversation I wanted. Um, and then at the end of the date, like, I was like, oh, no, I want to hug him, but I don't know if he's going to hug me. And so as a person who's very normal most of the time about hugs, I, like, did this weird off hug and then, like, didn't hear from him for three weeks. He was like, well, that's over. And then I left the country, and he was like, oh, shoot, you're gone? I was going to take you out again. And we never met each other again. And he was just, like, one that got away that probably that would have happened anyway, but I always beat myself up about like, I did the date wrong and that's why X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. That's so hard too, because you want the, the, the date to come out well. So you go out again. That's sometimes yeah. I think why the pressure is there so much because you're just really literally weighing like every interaction <laughs> and heaven forbid you have a stomach ache that night or like you burp inappropriately or you laugh at something that is inappropriate yeah that they just mean as a joke or you know like all these little things that can go wrong just because you're trying to be yourself but you're also trying to win so here's the solution please just make the date did it go well enough that i could get more information and go out again Mm -hmm. please don't make it like are we gonna get married yeah. There are some fundamental things that I think you want to kind of air out in the first three dates, such as do you both agree on, I don't know, number of children or religious preferences? <laughs> like children, no children. I guess I should say that because if you're, you don't necessarily want to date someone who wants to move to Mars and if you don't want to move to Mars. Yep. Or if you want to have, not that you have to settle on a number of kids. I, I'm making that be a little too but scary I, but like I get what you're saying though like do you want family life do you life? want what's that sorry no sorry I didn't mean to I was just saying like do you want family life or or not like do you that that's kind of like a a thing yeah are our dating goals aligned like are you dating for fun right now are you dating for a relationship are mm-hmm. you hoping to get married in the next year or two or are you planning on being single for the next decade so you can you know summit l cap or something i don't know like right no totally and i think clarifying those goals can be like normal like it doesn't have to be like solicit i want to get married in the next year how are you fitting that timeline yeah totally but i think there can be analysis of like yeah like i don't know i'm trying to figure out how to word these questions too no it's it's just it's just a matter of like if, if them having a, a child from another relationship or a divorce or not wanting kids yeah. or, you know, like I yeah. have this religion, you have that religion, like some of those things that you feel like need to be kind of out there in the first little bit to decide if we're going to continue moving forward. Having said that, otherwise it's just date to date. You're just literally trying each other on for a fit and finding out if you fit. Yeah. I want to yeah. I want to bring in here another th- piece of feedback 
Um, a lot of people on mutual as well as just in interactions are talking about how there's a, this high in Utah, there's this high, um, percentage of people who are into extreme sports <laughs> yep. and they're looking for a partner with that same intensity level or like close to it. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, a lot of people I think moved to Utah because the outdoor recreation is really cool. There's a lot of it. It's really plentiful. Um, but I think we often get into this mindset of, I don't know if it's a soulmate mindset or a, my spouse has to be my best friend mindset, which have components that are nice. Um, but I think we forget that we're allowed to still have hobbies outside of marriage. And like, we can still have interests outside of the people we date. And though sure it would be cool to like have this moment of summiting a mountain together or, um, I don't know, going through these cool adrenaline moments together. Um, I, I think we get in our own way by having really narrow lenses of, oh, you don't rock climb, I can't go on a date with you. Or, oh, you don't um, raft on white water down waterfalls in a kayak. Listen, we're not going to be a fit. When really, like, balance isn't about someone looking exactly the same as you in interests and patterns. But I think, um, I think we miss a lot of opportunities for people who would be a good complement to us because we're looking for people who are exactly like us or um, we're looking for people who are even more hardcore than us so that we'll push each other or, I don't know, like, I think, I think in being very strict on like, you have to have this very outdoorsy mindset or you have to have this really exact thing I do, we miss people who might be really good for us. And in things so much more than hobbies, right? Like. So much of marriage is more than having shared hobbies. It's, hey, how are you going to compromise when we both want to do our shared hobby weekends? Or we both can't be always doing our stuff all the time if your goals are for, to have a family life. Mm-hmm. And if those aren't your goals, then like maybe you do need to find your exact partner. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. that make sense? Absolutely. And I, I think one of the things that I see with extreme sports is that it's filling a lot of time. Uh, mm-hmm. and kind of creating that high and that's yeah. fine like if that's what you want for your life that's fine I just get frustrated I think when people do do some of these things and they also are saying yeah I want a relationship and it's like well having a relationship is like having a part-time job yeah you know and well obviously it should be more than part-time but I mean like <laughs> dating is a part-time job and then if you actually have a relationship you need to put time and effort into it and if you're putting more totally. time and effort into your extreme hobbies and you're poopling this person that you're trying to be with because they aren't going to come along. Like maybe you just need to reevaluate what you have to offer. Yeah. Cause maybe you don't have that. Like everybody wants companionship. And so I don't know, you have to kind of just think about if you're, if your extreme sports are replacing your, what you, what else you could have in your life. I think that's a really good way to say it. Right. Like I, I don't, ever want to come up as saying is like don't have hobbies or don't have things you pursue um or don't have passions right like those are beautiful parts of people but I think as a single woman um I don't want to say I, I have hobbies to replace loneliness because I plan on being an interesting person with hobbies my whole life um but I think that when I have a lot of excess time um 
I find things to fill it and I find things to put in that time. And I think there's a lot of value to um, sacrificing that time to build parts of myself, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of different things at different times. I don't have to do everything at the same point in my life. And just because I've spent a lot of time into a hobby or an extreme sport or a career doesn't mean it's wasted if I don't do that forever. Like maybe it's time for me to start analyzing myself and having a relationship partner who's gonna give me honest feedback on like, hey Mel, that was pretty messed up mm-hmm. when you said that thing. Oh, that's gonna take a lot of time and investment and is a very worthwhile thing to growing that part of myself as well. Mm-hmm. And the only person that's gonna give me that isn't a person who's gonna be doing a cross country bike track. Like we can also have those conversations in any other activity and probably easier if we're not panting for breath. So I think there's value in prioritizing different things in life for mm-hmm. different times and not being mad at myself for having extreme sports or having extreme hobbies or other people for having those, but allowing it to not have to define my whole existence. Right. Like, I feel like it should be a part of your life, but not your whole life. Exactly. Right. And that hopefully your partner can come along and be a good cheerleader or um, support crew and that you guys can kind of float vice versa as needed. But I think having the expectation that this is what your partner needs to look like, act like, and do, like, you don't want to marry yourself. Yes. You want to marry someone that has some similarities to you and has some same like goals as you. But if you marry yourself, you're going to be pretty boring and you're not going to be able to get that, what I call like a marriage mirror. Yeah. Where someone's like looking back and reflecting you all the time. Like that's not exactly what you're looking for. Like I like part of one of the things that I love about my husband is the compliments, the complimentary features that he brings out in me, the balance yes. that he offers me. Yes, we have common interests and things. Um, but I like it when we can have a nice discussion. I like it when we get into, he knows more about this. I know more about that. Or let's learn something together. Like I, I like a lot of that disharmony and harmony. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think, I think when we are looking for our phone to date or marry, we forget that often the things that drive us most crazy about other people are the things we don't like in ourselves. And so if I'm marrying someone exactly like me, turns out that's still going to be really annoying because there's things about myself that are really annoying and that's going to bother me in this. I'm so funny. Oh my gosh. I, don't like. I was looking at uh, or reading a book. I can't remember which book it was. I read a lot of books, but they were talking <laughs> about going online and how online you can find out like if, if they're a fan of a certain team and this example was like, oh, the guy was looking for someone who was a Red Sox fan and she was like a Yankee fan, which I know those are very big rivals, okay? And by the way, I'm a Red Sox fan. <laughs> but he was like, oh, totally, totally different. And he's like, in reality, this could have been my soulmate and she was just a Yankee fan and she would have come with me to a game and we could have had a good rival if I would have met her in person. But because I can swipe left or right on her, you know, isn't mm-hmm. that interesting? Like where you just get some of the information up front and you don't necessarily like find out your vibe with them? Yeah, and I think we miss out learning a lot about ourselves by creating, well, socially, but I think especially in relationships, just creating an echo chamber of you're exactly like me and we have to be exactly the same to get along. There might be certain, like you said, similarities that are deal breakers for people like religious goals or family goals Mm -hmm. or um, for some people, I know politics can be a deal breaker. I don't think it has to be. I think we do a disservice when we 
don't have differences in that, but um, but yeah, I think in the most part, differences can be really beautiful. Right. One of the, the feedback items that I got that I thought was really helpful is that they were talking about sometimes in Utah how there's a real focus on marriage versus a focus on connection. Mm. And I love that. I think that if you can focus on connecting with them as a person and finding out if there's romantic feelings inside, then you build upon that. And that's when you suddenly down the road go, I think maybe we can work out. <laughs> you don't have to know so quickly and so upfront. That yeah. leads me to a whole other thing. And we're going to pause. We're going to come back and talk about uncertainty. Welcome back. We are going to talk about a stage in a relationship that comes right after attraction, and it's called uncertainty. This is from author John Gray, who wrote Mars and Venus on a Date, which is a great book I recommend. And he talks about how when you are attracted to someone and you move into dating them, how you immediately go into the stage called uncertainty. And uncertainty looks a lot like, I don't know if we're a good fit, right? What does uncertainty look like in Utah? <laughs> Take it away, Mel. <laughs> so many things, but I think in a big way, because um, because there's so many different options, I think uncertainty can be as minimal as, oh, shoot, do I actually feel more attracted to that guy with blonde hair than this guy with brown hair? Just like very insignificant physical traits um, to comparing. I think uncertainty exhibits in a lot of comparison, right? Like, oh, this person... I laugh more at their jokes, we get along better, I think they're more better for me, or, oh, this person, you know, they have that really cool idea that they shared, I really want someone with a good brain who's smart, I think they're better, for, right, like, we can always find something that someone has lack in, mm -hmm. and so I think it creates, we've talked already about a very competitive culture, but I think also a very comparative culture that at its worst is just going to turn us in on ourselves and increase self-loathing, which is not good for dating. Right. And that's when people life. go, oh, there's nobody to date. There's just nobody to date. Yeah. Because we try to yeah. be so certain before we go. If anyone's a proponent of Brene Brown, they follow her. One of the big things that she talks about is uncertainty and how, as human beings, we pretty much hate it. Right? Mm -hmm. We want the sure thing. And in dating, yeah. it comes to uncertainty and when there's risks that we have to take. And we just don't want to risk. And I get that. In my practice, that's a lot of what I spend time on is like how to take low risks versus high risks. Um, mm -hmm. But having said that, I think that there is a lot that we prescribe to in stories that we listen to, in music, and in culture that really like feeds the fear. So how many of you watch Dateline NBC and watch like that murderer of the week? And I swear to you, every time they open, they're like, she never knew there was a psycho that she was living with. <laughs> he was the perfect husband until one day he murdered her. You know, have you, you, we watch this, we see the Lifetime movies, we hear these horror stories of true crimes that happen and suddenly we're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be with the wrong person and I'm going to you know, be in this relationship and I'm going to be completely blindsided and never know that there's this psycho sleeping next to me. That's a real fear. Yeah. Right. And it's, it, it gets validated when we like binge watch true crime. I used to listen to the Dateline podcast because I like to scare myself, I guess. <laughs> and I finally had to stop because I was driving home late at night and 
I was listening to it and I was like, someone's following me. I'm going to be killed as I go into my house. I mean, it just, it didn't do good things for my mind. Yeah. <laughs> so thinking about that, have you ever been worried about that, Mel? Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to end up with a psycho. I think, I think there's, I mean, never directly a psychopath. I think I like am overconfident in my ability to detect a lack of empathy. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm good at that. But I do think there are components of like, oh my gosh, I have no idea if this kid's going to be, or this guy's going to be abusive, right? Like mm-hmm. what if this kid hurts someone that I love? What if this kid abuses someone in my family? What if this guy, um, what if he... I mean, sometimes people act about fear about porn. That's not a specific one for me. Um, but yeah, I think the fear of like pornography or like the fear of divorce, like especially yeah. when you get into the older population, um, you know, between your thirties and forties and, um, and beyond, you've had people that have been divorced. And mm-hmm. so then you're like, well, my buddy got divorced and his wife looked so great at the beginning and she ended up being so mean and so crazy. And she, and I see the pain he's going through and I see his kids and I just don't want that. So I need to yeah. be even more sure before I'll move forward at all. Yeah. Right. And yeah, there's a lot of that, like, okay, I have to date someone for a year, which isn't inherently bad. I'm not criticizing that. Or I have to date someone for, but there's like this timeline. Like, I have to date them until I have learned everything about them and seen them in every scenario. I know exactly how they're going to respond to all of life so that I know none of those red flags or none of those creepy things or he's not going to kill me in my sleep. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. And so one of the things that I teach in my practice um, is something that I learned from Elisa Goodwin Snell. And you mentioned a little bit earlier, just like looking for empathy, right? When somebody yeah. has empathy, if it's fake or contrived, they just sort of show it towards you and they don't really offer it to other people in the world. So if someone has empathy and they can kind of, they put that into their experiences with you as well as with other people, it's a really good indicator that they're not a psycho. <laughs> right? People, yeah. people come with risks. Mental health can change. I, you need to, you need to know that. Having said that, good communication and, you know, being able to express your fear, fears and have the massage is a good starting point, I think. And then also to recognize the stories that you're feeding yourself. And is that contributing to my success in a relationship or is that contributing to me being afraid and alone? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what can you do to work through fear? Do you think? I think a big step is learning how much fear is undermining what you're doing. Cause I think a lot of it feels and seems normal and especially in friendships, we perpetuate those fears of, oh, well, if that's there, then yet you have to go, or, oh, you're thinking that, so you got to follow that. Um, or when those anxieties come up, we indulge them with each other a lot, instead of, I think, what is helpful is taking the moment for ourselves and, like, actually articulating, what is my fear here? Like, what am I worried about? Like, am I really worried if this guy is a sociopath or am I more worried that like I'm going to be embarrassed by him? I'm really worried mm-hmm. that this guy is like going to kill everyone I love or am I worried that like I'm not going to feel loved and he's going to choose other people over me, right? Or like, and some of that we have to learn in dating, which is a weird paradox, but I also think that like 
having the self-awareness and doing that self-work can happen through therapy. I think it can help and happen through like introspective book reading, journaling, mountain walks, whatever. Like I think like taking the time to learn about ourselves and having that self-insight, like to know even what we're dealing with is a good first step. Love it. And, and I think like after we know what our fears are, I'm not going to say like exposure therapy, but I think there's an importance of um, putting ourselves in an uncomfortable place and proving those fears wrong to say like, okay, I was really worried that rejection was going to kill me. I was worried that being rejected again was just going to end me and I couldn't deal with it and I was, wasn't going to survive. Oh, I just got rejected again on a date and actually look at it. I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, maybe it confirms other past stories, but that shows me where my work is next. Not, I got rejected, so I have work, but what was my response to the rejection? What was my response to the fear? How did I respond if the fear came up again or, oh, wow, that fear actually didn't come up again and I can survive it. Oh, wow, I can let that one go kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think that there's just some realism that you have to put aside or put inside rejection. Like you're not the exception to it. It's going to happen. Yeah. I'm really sorry. I don't mean that disingenuously. I am. No. I lived through it. I live through it. There's rejection that happens in my life still. And I think when it comes to romantic rejection, there's just this layer of like deep pain because you feel like you're being rejected all over the place, right? Yeah. Um, so go to your safe place, like shore yourself up, get with people that know and love you, but recognize that rejection is part of the process. And I, I feel like a realistic recovery time is, is important to keep in mind too. If you're, if you're going years deep on rejection, you need to, you need to get some help and you need to be able to work through that because we're all hardwired for connection and you're going to want to come back and, and embrace a, a new relationship. And so working through that, and like you said, putting fresh eyes on each relationship and not necessarily letting the baggage of your last one bring you into this new one, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay, this is really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Um, I want to go into a uh, slightly heavier topic. So we'll be right back. Cool. Okay, we have kind of a heavy hitting subject to transition into on this um, subject of dating in Utah. And we're going to talk about sexual repression. Okay. Um, In the, um, if you're an active member of the church and you're wanting to maintain a temple recommend, um, you obey the law of chastity, which means that you don't have sexual relations um, unless you are legally uh, married to a spouse and it's with one one person, one your spouse, right? And yeah. because of that, there are some guidelines that are set up to help keep your standards intact so that you don't slip up and um, have sex and let the relationship go to that level without marriage. Um, Because of that, then there's also a very sexually repressed population as well as a very um, sexually eager population. Is that appropriate? Yes, that matches both things I've felt and heard about. Right. So let's speak to the sexually eager first. Right. Because I feel like that is something that it's, it's kind of easier to identify and, and notice if that is going to be 
part of the relationship. When you're eager, usually what happens is that you are, you are advancing way too quickly before you know this person. Mm-hmm. You're moving to touch, you're moving to touch inappropriately, you're talking about things that aren't necessarily matching of someone that you're becoming acquainted with, which is usually where you're out on a date. Maybe inappropriate jokes, exchanges of photographs. Um, and then I think really just like pushing physical boundaries quickly, right? Mm-hmm. This yeah. can be uh, close on, close off, partial partial nudity, partial this, partial that. But it's just kind of pushing the boundary and seeing how far you can go. And those that happen really quickly in a relationship, like within those first three dates especially, it's like to me that's high risk. Yeah. This is someone who's having a hard time with impulse control. Yes, and I, I think why that becomes a negative thing, not because the emotions are there, but because it becomes a tricky dynamic of what is this person to need really? And I'm gonna own that after three dates, I don't know a person well enough to say, I'm in love with you so much, I need to show you. There's definitely infatuation, I've definitely felt excitement after three dates, but I think, and I'm not I'm not trying to create parameters of what people need to do or what people's emotions are. I'm talking about myself in that. Um, But I think there does have to be an element of knowing somebody, an element of respecting somebody, an element of trusting somebody. And if those things get inverted, um, it becomes too easy to use that person for their body and to feel like you're being used for your body. To say, oh, this person doesn't respect me because how could they? This person doesn't know me well enough because how could they? And I think it can become a really dangerous element to bring into dating too early because how do I explain to myself beyond my level of, I mean, horniness, which is a normal part of being human, but isn't, like you said, controlling those impulses to say, I want to make them feel respected, or I want to ask them and have the difficult conversation of what are your boundaries, or I want to listen that you might not explicitly say be saying no, but oh, you pulled away right there and didn't say, hey, keep going. I didn't learn to listen to that social cue of no or that social cue of not consent and mm-hmm. push because this is what I needed and so I did it anyway. Right, right. And it can, it can lead to so much pain and so much disconnection. And this happens outside of the LDS culture and faith as well. I mean, just, just to be clear, pushing physical boundaries <laughs> too soon isn't just unique to that that population but i think it's something that happens because there's like this amplified level of shame and then there's this amplified amount of secrecy right yeah you definitely try to present yourself as someone who is not like that or has not been hurt by someone who's done that to them i mean it's very much secret driven and shame gift driven and um so much so that there's i mean there's some pretty insane stories i could tell you (laughs) and the shame that gets carried around is something that I think can thwart future dating possibilities because you don't feel like you're good enough. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not good enough to date so-and-so who I perceive as being, you know, so pure and so this and that, and I'm not, Mm -hmm. it's awful. I just, it makes my heart hurt. Yeah. So let's, there's, I think there's a lot of books on that, a lot of things to be said about that. So I kind of want to pause there and I want to talk more about the sexually repressed because I don't know that there's a lot of information out there for that. So first of all, let's define it. What is sexual repression? When you choose not to have sex, and so you kind of push any developing or budding hormones 
aside. You push, you know, desires to be exclusive in a relationship aside. You just, you push aside like some of the developmental stages that happen maybe in late teenage years, um, early twenties, you push them aside and are working very hard to be above them, which I think is being in control of your, your hormones is a great thing. There's no, nothing to say about that. But sometimes you don't learn how to be one-on-one with a man or a woman. You know, mm-hmm. you don't learn what it's like to have some hard-hitting conversations or to make some of those first mistakes um, as far as yeah. like, oh, I messed up and I hurt their feelings and I need to repair. Or I they like me and I don't like them and I don't know what to say. And so I don't know how to use my words and say like, thank you so much. I, I don't feel a romantic connection with you. We just, we don't learn and that. Think, well, and I think associated with the not learning is not understanding your own body. Um, and that sexual arousal is a part of being a human. Um, especially I think in women, we don't talk about this for men. They have a very convenient indicator of, Oh, I'm aroused. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for women, there's not as clear, uh, I'm aroused or not aroused. And a lot of it is an internal emotional process. And I think where I see a lot of sexual repression happening for women is they may start to feel arousal or um, some sexual awareness and then perceive that as sinful or unrighteous or not a good thing. And so they turn it off or stop it, which can be part of um, an abstinence behavior, but can also be dangerous because um, it's something Jennifer Finlayson Fife calls the good girl syndrome, where people will get into marriage where in our church doctrine, we teach sex is an important part of the relationship and is healthy and women will, and sometimes men, but it's more common in women, they will um, not only refuse to have sex, but won't enjoy the sexual experience because their body has turned this off so many times. That the shame is there for them in a different way of, yeah. I shouldn't be feeling this. I have to turn this off mm-hmm. to the point where they don't know how to be sexual and see the spirituality and the beautiful divinity connected with that. Yeah. So what happens in dating, I love that going forward into marriage. What happens in dating sometimes is that I think that the repression means that there isn't um, an overt romantic overture for the man mm-hmm. or the woman. Right. They don't necessarily lead out with holding hands, putting their arm around each other, snuggling, um, kissing even like there's just a lot of politeness that happens there. And so neither person knows, is this romantic? Is this not? And if a, if a, if the romantic overtures haven't been exchanged in those first few interactions, then both of them feel rejected and the relationship just fizzles. I see that all the time, all the time. Right. And part of that is that there is this extreme, like if I kiss them, then that means we're exclusive. Mm. This is my boyfriend. This is my girlfriend and we're exclusive and everyone's going to know. And everyone at church is going to know. And the whole neighborhood's going to know because I kissed them. And so if I kiss them, that means that we are exclusively dating and I could probably marry them. I mean, (laughs) Wow. That's a lot of pressure. Yes. (laughs) Right? What kissing I feel like hopefully should be about and like what physical touch should hopefully be about um, is exploring that 
way of showing that you have feelings for them, showing that you have attraction and that there are, that the something is growing, right? And this will yeah. either, either help it grow or kind of be the indication that like, you know what? Our feelings don't really transition into romantic. It doesn't mean that you need to kiss everyone, but it means that if the opportunity presents itself and that's where the situation goes, that you can walk through it and you can either say, hey, yeah, I really like this part of us. Let's keep exploring our relationship, spend time together, be affectionate or now I just feel friendship feelings for you and I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm. That sounds so sad, but that's, we don't transition it. Yeah. Um, and we miss out on all of the great chemicals that our body are just ready for us to use mm-hmm. to reinforce the really hard parts of relationships that have to come. Mm-hmm. And we're just sitting there not getting, not that it's our like, oh, I have to get the good chemicals, but there's a lot of well, that's kind of the, the, the chemicals are what are what like overpower the fear. Yeah. Like when you've yes. got enough um, hormones building, you work through the fear of like, oh, my gosh, this person could not like me kissing them. But you're like, I'm going to try anyway. <laughs> you know, and oh, my gosh, I'm going to hold their hand. And does this feel good or does this feel bad? Does this feel like I'm holding hands with my, you know, platonic friend or someone that I am actually really attracted to? And your body kind of helps give you some of those indications. And if you don't follow through with that what happens you never know and we have so many false starts to use a sporting term false start <laughs> right so yeah. many relationships that never really get to go into fruition so my suggestion would be as part of a solution and i'd love to hear if you want to add to this mel like move through some of that like put your hand on her back like put your arm around her at the movie theater um hold hands like get get comfortable with kind of exploring some of that and then my mama always said to me that after the third day I was allowed to kiss them (laughs) and there was only a couple of times that I did it before the third date one of them I married the other one I did not (laughs) (laughs) but like I think that that's a healthy part of the relationship and that um it lets the other person know hey yes this is romantic you are not just like anybody else to me yeah, there's a. I agree with that for sure. I think there's. I think there's a, a specialness in this isn't a behavior that happens with everyone. I'm treating you different from other people, which is on first or second date maybe not necessary if you're strangers getting to know each other. But as you're progressing more into like you've told me stuff about you, you've trusted me with information, and I feel closer to you because of that. I think that it's completely appropriate um, to have that connection. I. I get a lot of feedback from people who um, are like, oh, it feels gross to ask or it's awkward to ask. And some of the most romantic moments I've had is a person saying like, could I kiss you right now? Because there's such an element of respect. And I'm not saying everyone has to do that, but I think there are cues that can be read and things that can reinforce that behavior. But I think before those even can come, there can be us individually saying, wow, I'm feeling this. I'm gonna show that physically like showing some of my cards of like, oh, I like you more than other people. I don't hold people's hands if I don't like them. Yeah. I'm gonna make that gesture after we've been on these dates. Or maybe and liking someone is okay. It's it's my car. Yeah, like maybe. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say liking someone is okay. That's age appropriate. <laughs> yes, it's so appropriate. Oh my god, and so human. I gotta tell you this story um, because you know vulnerability is fun. On my husband and I's first date, um, I lived in an apartment alone. 
and I invited him after to see my apartment because I'd been telling him about something or another that was there. And as soon as I invited him in, I realized, oh my gosh, I live alone because I had just moved in there recently. And I, before that, I usually always had roommates. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I'm inviting him into my apartment alone. He probably thinks I'm going to make out with him. So we're probably like five steps into my apartment. And I say, just so you know, I didn't invite you in here to kiss you. <laughs> so awkwardly. And he was like, eyes big. Okay. That's, yeah, I, d I didn't think you did, you know. Sure. So we go in, I show him whatever we're going to show him. We start, you know, sitting on the couch and just kind of visiting. And I had had, I was wearing my hair down and he just said, your hair just looks so soft. And he just kind of started like playing with it a little bit. And oh my gosh. I mean, right. And he literally, he will say to this day, I did not intend on like, I wasn't trying to wear you down. I just thought it would be nice to like snuggle a little bit and like, like make sure that you knew that I was romantically interested in you, that it wasn't like something and un unbeknownst to him, it actually did wear me down. And I went 90 and he went 10. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's a lot of value in, in acknowledging too that like, just because you and your husband kissed in that experience doesn't mean that's always what's going to happen. And doesn't mean it's bad to check in on that, right? Like, yeah, it's to true. Say like, okay, just because I held your hand doesn't mean we have to make out now. Or just mm -hmm. because I'm talking here with you doesn't mean that we're getting married now because I had some physical connection with you. Like it's supposed to be and can be a gradual process. And also it's super normal if the timing of it is like, actually I want to kiss you now and that's what's happening. And that's oh that's, yeah. And it totally overwhelmed me and I threw him out of my house. I, I did. I freaked out. I said, you got to get out of here. And he, he further proved himself, I think by calling me and just saying like, I hope I didn't make you uncomfortable. Um, can I take you out again? And I was just like, yeah, yeah. And I just thought he was really respectful and it was just sweet. And it ended up being, yeah. you know, very clear to me, like, that was nice. I liked that. <laughs> and it opened up the like windows for you guys to communicate. Mm -hmm. It opened up the windows for you guys to communicate about like, oh, what did we want in that experience? Oh, did she feel respected in that experience? Oh, mm -hmm. Did I wear her down? I really didn't mean to. Oh, that was something I actually mm -hmm. wanted and chose, right? Like, those are all beautiful communication points to have. Well said. A beginning relationship. Well said. So okay, let's pause here and then we're going to come back and wrap up with a couple more thoughts about dating in Utah. Welcome back. We're going to just wrap up here with some of our thoughts about dating in Utah. Mel, what do you want to say to the people? People listen. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think there's a lot of rules and scripts and kind of underlying expectations that get passed around that aren't actually serving us. Things like if he doesn't call you, it's not a real ask out for a date. Or if you don't know if you're dating by the third date, it's not useful. Or um, if they are dating other people, they're a player, right? Like I think there's these things that get into our dating patterns that aren't useful. And I think we're allowed to just let them go. If it is something that's useful for you and that matters to you, it's worth communicating that to other people of like, hey, I really like that you're texting me, but it helps me feel really respected if you're willing to call me on the phone. Okay, that's something that really matters to you. You gotta tell people that that's the thing you're going off of. Or if these other things really matter to you, you gotta communicate about it. But I think allowing the freedom of, hey, you're a person, I'm a person, 
dating's hard, we're all trying to go through it, and having a little bit more compassion and not seeing dating as this rigid, rule-ridden thing, but like a fun, choose-your-own-adventure that sometimes you have to improvise and sometimes you have to be uncomfortable and sometimes you have to dive into things uncertainly is like part of the point of it. You're finding yeah. a person who's going to do life with you, so if you're not willing to be uncertain on some dates with them, marriage is going to be... Yeah, try buying a house. Yeah. Having a baby. Lots of uncertainty in your future, folks. (laughs) And it's required to grow. Like, you're just going to be stagnant if you don't grow. Yeah. Well said. I think that that's that's the point that I want to share and bring out, too, is just that the part... The reason that we want, we're hardwired for connection is because connection is something that makes us feel like life is worth living and we're not all alone in the world. And when you're with someone that helps you to be your best self and to grow, then you go out and you kind of conquer the world and you, you move forward and leave your mark. Right. And so dating shouldn't necessarily feel like the most unending battle. It's, it's a means to create relationships. I would love to see people in exclusive relationships and not have that be such pressured. I would love to see you try on and be in a successful relationship where you try someone on for a fit and decide, hey, we're going to fit, let's get married, great, or we don't fit and we appreciate the time we spent together. I would like to see more exclusive relationships versus just like endless first dates and ghosting and poor communication and letting people wonder, why am I single? Like, know yeah. your value and like put yourself in positions where you can meet people. Utah has so many opportunities of meeting people. There is a high population of single people. And so go go to those activities, use the app, but like use that as a means to become acquainted to then go on dates. Right? Yeah. Um and last but not least, I guess I just would say don't lose hope. You have to cultivate that hope. You have to figure out if you've got deficits, if there's things you got to work on, work on them. No big deal. Work on them. It's fine. And you can, you can move forward and, um, move into whatever you want to, you know, thank you so much for, for coming on this podcast, Mel. You're the best. So fun chatting with you. You're so cute. Okay. Well, we hope this this finds you well. If you guys have any comments or um, feedback for us, you can um, follow me on Instagram at Lonnie K. Harmon. Lonnie is L-O-N-I and Harmon is H-A-R-M-O-N. And you can also email me at Lonnie at MillCreek-Counseling.com. So again, Lonnie K. Harmon on Instagram or um, Lonnie at MillCreek-Counseling.com. Thanks so much. Enjoy your day, dear. Okay, bye, hun. Thank you so much for listening to the Dating Counselor podcast, where I help you build a successful relationship. It would mean so much to me if you could rate, review, and subscribe to my podcast so that we can change the way dating is happening and everybody can have a successful experience. If you do, please send me a screenshot. I would love to see your review and share it on my social media. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good one. Peace and blessings. This podcast and the social media associated with it represents the opinions of Lonnie K. Harmon, LCSW, and her guests to the show. 
The content here is intended to be psychoeducational and should not be taken as specific mental health advice. The content here is for informational and educational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your mental health professional for any mental health questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and social media are her own and that of her guests to the show. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Privacy is of, is of utmost importance to us. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect client confidentiality. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapist-client relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast, please send a message to Lonnie at Lonnie at MillCreek-Counseling.com. That's Lonnie, L-O-N-I, at MillCreek-Counseling.com.